following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Welcome to The Leftovers, brought to you by the Underdog Sports Network, with Josh Dunn, Anshu Khanna, and Dan Bauer. Hello and welcome to The Leftovers. It's Monday, March 26th. I'm Josh Dunn. I'm joined tonight, uh, today I should say, by Anshu Khanna. Anshu, how you doing this beautiful morning? Doing well. Tough to get the week started, but I'm glad to be doing it with you, buddy. Yeah, long weekend. We had a couple, uh, you know, you had a couple fantasy baseball drafts in there, and then we had our big big league draft last night. How you feeling about uh, the upcoming MLB season with opening day coming up this week? Man, I feel like we've just had so much going on with college basketball and, um, you know, and NFL that it sort of crept up on us, huh? Yeah, definitely. Baseball. I, I can't believe the season's about to be here. I, you know, I was thinking about going to spring training this year. That's going to be delayed. Till next year, probably, but uh, it's it's exciting stuff. I'll be heading to opening day next week for the Sox, so uh, very That's excited awesome. for the upcoming baseball season. Obviously, we have a lot to be excited about for the South Side of Chicago with our youngster, very young team, and, and a lot of good prospects. So anxious to get it kicked off. Um, a lot of young cats on that White Sox team. Absolutely, <laughs> perfect timing. Uh, love it. Uh, so we're gonna walk everybody through, uh, kind of do a little bit of a recap of the Sweet 16. We'll run through that quickly, then talk about the Elite Eight matchups that led to the Final Four. Uh, we'll start with Thursday's games. Obviously, uh, a couple big ones here, and then a couple unexpected appearances in the Sweet 16. Um, let's start with Loyola against Nevada. This was maybe the best game of the weekend, aside from the Duke. Uh, Kansas game, which we'll get to, but uh, how surprised are you that Loyola was able to move on and, and defeat Nevada? I know you like this Nevada team. Nevada looked really good uh, at times in this game, but at other times they just went cold. Uh, how surprised are you to see Loyola with the upset against the Wolfpack? Uh, the Wolfpack, yeah, it was it was you know pretty surprising. I, I mean, they were like one or two point dogs. The thing about this Loyola Cinderella run is kind of the fact that it's that they're here in aggregate rather than each individual game. If you look at it, they were only like three or four point dogs all the way down. If you look at Miami and then Tennessee, which was probably the biggest surprise, then Nevada, who I thought played really well, goes on that run there in the middle of the second half where they re- rattle off like 10 straight points on fast break layups. And it was just like, where did that come from? Where did that athleticism come from? And I think that that's the best part of this Loyola team is they can beat you in a lot of different ways. I mean, they've been really good in the half court. They've been really good on the boards. They've been really good defensively. Um, we said going into this tournament that they were one of the few well-rounded offensive and defensive efficiency teams. So, you know, this is this is impressive. Um, and I thought that Nevada would be a problem for them. I think they were for sure at times. But, you know, nonetheless, it uh, shows a lot about the medal of Loyola and Poker, yeah, Porter Marcher's team and, and the composure of those uh those underclassmen to get through. Yeah, when you think back on NCAA tournaments of years past, you think about a lot of big shots down the stretch, a lot of you know three pointers to win games at the buzzer and things of that nature. This Loyola team has now done it multiple times in this tournament, and obviously Marcus Towns hits the three uh, in the closing seconds of this game to give the Ramblers the lead. But how how crazy is it that they've been able to have multiple players on this team lead them to victories at the closing seconds of these games? I mean, again, I, it's a great point. I think it speaks to the, the volume of talent that they have, the fact that they're a legit team next year to come right back here into the Final Four, um, you know, similar to Wichita State. And I think this could be, you know, one of those seismic shifts in the mid-major powers because, um, you know, I mean, assuming Mosier stays, which it's not a given yet, but, you know, this is a hotbed of talent here in Chicago that's been untapped by the region. And, I, I just think of like the fact that they've had, like you said, so many different players impact them. I think it speaks to the quality of the coaching, of the recruiting, of the training, and then you know you apply that to these guys, and and they've obviously delivered in clutch moments and throughout these games. I mean, 
to just be in that position against these big time schools, Miami and Tennessee specifically, Kansas State, obviously, um, you know, it just it really speaks to the quality of, you know, the depth. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, speaking of, uh, the you know, last second shots, obviously Michigan had a big one earlier in this tournament. Texas A&M was the team that knocked off North Carolina in a blowout fashion, and uh, now Michigan kind of gives them a taste of their own medicine. Obviously, our, our co-host Dan has Texas A&M going into the Final Four. <laughs> they get knocked off here in the Sweet 16. Uh, was there any surprise on your end with Michigan and what they were able to do almost dropping 100 on Texas A&M? Yeah, not, not here to defend himself, of course, right on time, but <laughs> we gave him plenty of uh, smack about it via text. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is the Michigan team I expected to come out. I think we talked about last week. We I think we agreed that this was going to be one of the bigger blowouts in matchup-wise of the tournament uh, of that round. I know AM really came out and played the game of its season against Carolina, but you know Michigan is a really good team. I mean, they shot the lights out in this game. Their starters were awesome. I love Abdul Rahman. He goes four of seven from three. I think they shot like fifty-eight percent from three that game. So yep. that's a tough team to beat when you're better uh, when you're already better going in. So. Uh, Michigan well-rounded, and uh, to put up almost 100 on A&M is very, very impressive. Yeah, 58% from three, 62% from the field in that game. Texas A&M turned it over 14 times, which doubled up what Michigan had. So, uh, yeah, Michigan played solid defense the entire game, held Texas A&M to under 50% from the field, and uh, really shot lights out. So it's going to be tough to to beat a team when they're shooting that well, obviously. But uh, Michigan moved on. Um, in the later games, we had one that was maybe a big, the, probably the, the biggest surprise of the Sweet 16 to me, uh, Kansas State knocking off Kentucky. This was a game that was close down the stretch, but really kind of an ugly game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's rare that you're going to see Kentucky held under 60 points, and Kansas State hasn't really been you know, a great defensive team this season, so I, I was pretty stunned by that. I mean, pretty good, I guess, but not like... I wouldn't have expected them to apply their pressure the way they did. And the way Kentucky was playing going into this, specifically with Gilgis Alexander, um, they hold him to 2 of 12 shooting, I think, or 2 of 10. I mean, he was he was awful in this game. Knox really didn't impl- you know, apply his abilities. And, you know, you just got to kind of tip your cap. This is one of those games, Kansas State, as we saw the next round, kind of a flash in the pan, um, especially with Wade not really being at 100%. But to win three games without your best player in the tournament is very impressive. That's what Kansas State did, and they cap it by beating a team in Kentucky that I think 99% of this country was rooting against. Yeah, I'd say. <laughs> I, I guess my big surprise with Kansas State, Xavier Sneed, he, he looked excellent in every game in yes. this tournament. Um, but Kansas State, the, big, the bigger surprise in that game was that they shot the ball 35% from the field. And still were able to beat a, you know a blue blood yep. team that was finally getting comfortable in their own skin. And I thought I thought Kentucky even in a close game was going to be able to pull it out down the stretch, but they shot horrible, twenty five percent from three. They only shot thirty eight percent from the field themselves. So um, Kansas State was able to move on in a game that I think most most of us had uh, Kentucky winning. Uh, and then yeah. the, the nightcap on Thursday. We had Florida State uh, coming up with a big win against Gonzaga. This game was very close in the first half and really the beginning of the second. And then Florida State's, you know, that junkyard defense was able to help them run away with it toward the end of that game. Yep. I I mean, and I'm interested to get your perspective on, you know, what this means longer term, assuming Terrence Mann gets back. I mean, to beat a good Gonzaga team out west like this and, and handle them. I mean, they were cover to cover. This game was over early. Like, if it, I mean, had the seeds been flipped, we would have just been kind of nodding at, yeah, this is what was supposed to happen. I thought throughout this tournament, Florida State looked like a team very much deserving of a top four or five seed. And you just wonder when the switch flipped for them. But um, I'm, I'm interested to hear what you think this means for them going forward because, you know, it, it was impressive the way that they dispatched Xavier and then Gonzaga. Yeah, I mean, this team, like I said, I've, I've said this kind of throughout the tournament. They, they play really good defense, and they have great depth. And you never know which player is going to be the one that's going to that's gonna beat you. And this game, Terrence Mann really looked good. He had one play in particular where he just drove to the hole and it blew past his defender to dunk one on somebody. And I just – I thought it was very impressive that they were able to hold Gonzaga to, to 25% on the three-point line. I talk about their wing perimeter defense, and, and they shot the ball 34% from the field – total so I guess you know not surprised that they're they defended the ball as well as they did but I am surprised that they were able to pull this one out by 15 points you know I thought this was a game that if they were were going to win they were going to win it by less than five uh Mm -hmm. against a really powerful and solid Gonzaga team that uh, was was a favorite in this game so 
I'm impressed. I, I I love what Leonard Hamilton did throughout this tournament with that defense and with uh you know with keeping the rotation fresh. Uh, and I, I am anxious to see who all comes back uh, for this Florida State team because with the depth that they have, uh, with the talent that they have, you know that ACC is crowded and t- and there's some good teams at the top. But I think Florida State could really become a power in that conference. You know, last year we we talked about Florida State. They had three guys go pro. Uh, you know, they had they had a couple really good freshmen on that team. Obviously, Jonathan Isaac was a highlight. Uh, Dwayne Bacon, but this team, you don't really feel like there's that one. You know lottery type talent on this team but they do have talent from you know number one to number 10 on that roster so I am anxious to see how good they can be next year and how many of those guys are able to come back so uh, loved the run by Florida State let's go to the Friday games Uh, did you have anything to add on the Knowles before we move on just real quick I think that MJ Walker is that kind of talent I really believe that when you see it it's evident but he is raw like he is Mm -hmm. very raw and I think if he comes back for one more year they're a team like you said I I could, I could definitely see this team with the way that Duke is going to lose a lot. Well, they're going to add three great players. But, you know, I, I think that there's there's no doubt that they have a chance to win the ACC next year should these guys all come back. Um, North Carolina is going to be very different next year. I just I, I think this is a team to circle for next year. And, and now that they've got the confidence born of this run, um, it's definitely something to keep an eye on for 2019. It's exciting. I mean, you know, Florida State basketball could be back. We'll see. Uh, wow. I'm anxious for next year. Back. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> back back so. to the Bobby Sura days. <laughs> 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 but let's go to Friday. We had Kansas and Clemson. This was a, looked like a blowout the entire game. Clemson's able to pull back all the way to within four. Uh, Gabe DeVoe with a big game for the Tigers. But uh, Kansas, the Blue Blood, continued on with their run. I know every single one of us had Kansas winning this ball game. Uh, anything that stood out in this one? Uh, what stood out was it was a precursor to what they would eventually do later this weekend, and that's Malik Newman going absolutely off. 6 of 11 from the field, 4 of 7 from the arc. Uh, just He is a dead-eye shooter, the transfer. I, I always thought that he was one of the most interesting pieces to this team, but I just felt like they didn't have the depth. Boy, they they and in this game, the depth, the lack of depth was evident because Clemson does make that run, like you said. But uh, Kansas was just up way too big too early, and they ran away with it. But you know, Malik Newman is really emerging as you know the X factor in this tournament. Yeah, Kansas basically had a home game too. They played in Omaha, and they that place was at capacity. So uh, you know, most of the people mm-hmm. in there were rooting for Kansas, not too far uh, from Omaha. So. I wasn't surprised. I, I I did like to see the comeback. It made it interesting. At least made me change the channel for a little bit toward the end of that game. Uh, but Kansas moved on to the Elite Eight, uh, and then uh, Texas Tech and Purdue. This was a this was a fun one. Uh, this was a game that uh, you know I, I think that Texas Tech was probably they weren't favored. I don't think as far as the spread goes, but I think a lot of people <laughs> saw them with a great, with a good opportunity to win this. Keith and Evans had been playing well. Isaac Haas was not able to go. Uh, did you have any surprise there that uh, the Red Raiders were able to knock off the uh, two-seed Purdue? Uh, I guess the only surprise was the deficit. I mean, I felt like the entire – it was close in the first half, but Texas Tech just ran away with it in the second half. They, I think that not having Haas certainly caught up with Purdue there down the stretch. And like you said, Texas Tech was just feeling themselves. You know, it's so you see this these teams get high. I think it supplies to Florida State and Kansas State to a lesser extent, but you just – and even Loyola, like, you know, you just start getting to be the best version of yourself at this stage of the season. And, I, I mean, I think you absolutely saw that in Texas Tech with Evans and Gray and, and Zaire Smith, obviously. So, um, you know, they they were just too overwhelming for Purdue. This is the kind of team that gave Purdue problems all year, and we gave that to you last show that Texas Tech would be able to handle Purdue. I think with Haas, this is a different kind of game, but without him, 13 points is a difference, and that's how much better the Red Raiders were than the Boilers at this point in the season. Yeah, and Keenan Evans, obviously he's a guy that can get to the rack and, and draw fouls. He was 9 of 10 from the free throw line in this game, in a game that he really didn't shoot the ball very well. He was 3, three of 8 from the field. He really had to rely on his teammates uh, at points mm-hmm. during this game, but uh, it was it was not surprising. I think I was a little surprised that they were able to pull it out by, you know, by such a wide margin, but Carson Edwards for Purdue – uh, you know, so good. He had such a good game. He had finished with thirty points, eleven for twenty from the field. So, uh, you know, he's going to be a star. Yeah, and if he's he, if he comes back, star. I mean, he's only a sophomore. If he comes back next year, uh, you know, this Purdue team they could uh, they could keep t- heads turning going into next season if they can keep the team healthy uh, down the stretch mm-hmm. like they weren't able to do this year. But uh, you know, hat tip to Purdue and uh, Texas Tech was able to continue their uh, run to the Elite Eight. 
Uh, we had two more games in the later part of the evening. Uh, this Duke-Syracuse game was one that, uh, you know, was really close until the very end. Uh, Syracuse not able to get the upset there. Uh, Duke was able to pull that out with a four-point uh, four win. Marvin Bagley had a big one in this one, aren't you? Yeah, this was kind of Bagley's last stand. I was very impressed with him down the stretch this game. You're right, it was close. Duke jumped out to an early lead. They were up, what, seven or eight at halftime, I think. And then, um, you know, they, they kind of just held on. But I thought that Bagley really asserted himself down the stretch. And unlike what Bridges did, unlike what Jaron Jackson could do, I, I was very impressed with Bagley. And I thought that they were going to use this as a launching point to his last couple games of his college career as it were he you know he obviously didn't turn out that way um but you know i think that this game if nothing else shows you what bagley can do his versatility his ability to shoot the mid-range the step out jumper and then also obviously inflict as well down low yeah and particularly able to get behind that syracuse 2-3 zone uh yes. you saw multiple plays where bagley just gets goes up for the alley-oop and and he's sneaking around behind that uh that zone defense so uh it, did you Go ahead. Sorry, not to interrupt you, but did you see, uh, you know, like you watch both these games, obviously, especially as a, as a guy who enjoys watching Syracuse basketball. And, you know, did you notice the contrast, as I did, between Bridges in the round before and Bagley in this round? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's just the elite athleticism that Bagley has. I think Bridges is a great player, but he doesn't have that athleticism. So in the Michigan State game, you see Bridges coming to the top of the key. They pass him the ball, and the zone basically collapses on him. Whereas in this Duke game, Bagley gets behind the zone, and they're able to get the, get him the ball. You know, on, like I said, on alley oop types of plays. So it was just a very very different style, and I, I think that speaks to the the difference in athleticism there is between Miles Bridges and Marvin Bagley. And Bagley, you know, he, he's got a lot more leaping ability. He's not mm-hmm. the shooter that Miles Bridges is, but I think he's going to be a better pro. Yeah, okay. I was going to say how that applies maybe to the next level. We didn't see Bagley shoot any threes in this game, I don't believe, but he was he can shoot, I think. We've just seen more of it from Bridges and Bridges is more willing to do it. I just I think that Bagley's a star and Bridges is just a guy in the NBA. Do you agree with that or what, I, what do I do think? and I think Bridges maybe his draft stock was even somewhat hurt by his performance in this tournament. I I think mm-hmm. Bridges maybe was being looked at as a top five, maybe top ten stretch guy, and now he, you know I, I could see him going somewhere in the fifteen to twenty range. Do you agree? I mean, yeah. I look, we both are fans of teams who are going to have top ten picks. It looks like in the NBA draft, and I mean, I think that if either of us came away with Miles Bridges, we would be very disappointed in that. I would be absolutely devastated if that's what you use your tank season on on a guy like miles bridges yeah or if you you know are the Cavs and you're trying to keep lebron there i i wouldn't want i, I, I <laughs> yeah. just don't see him really fitting with the Cavs either but but it'll be interesting to see where he does end up because you know i think that he's a system guy and he, he he's going to need to play in a system where you know he could be successful and i just don't i just don't see him becoming a star at the next level i could see him being a decent role player but i just cannot see miles bridges as a star at the next level i just can't yeah i I, I, you know, we were trying, I'm trying to think of a comp. It's tough for me because the left hand just throws me off. But, you know, I think Jared Dudley is a guy that's sort of similar. Um, he's yeah, a little I bigger than that. that. Um, but I, ACC I think, guy. Yeah, yeah. There's, you know, there's a, well, Bridge is a Big Ten guy. Oh, but <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm thinking Bagley. Yeah, then Bagley, yeah. No, I think that, um, yeah, you know, like, I think that those guys, the guys that can do a lot of different little things for you, that's kind of what he'll be. And there's a place for that in the NBA, but I just don't. Maybe his old teammate Denzel Valentine's a decent comp, too. But I just, I'm not sure that Bridges is going to be, like, you know, your 18 to 20 point score that you want. I, I don't see that at all. Like, not at all. Yeah, and uh, we'll, we'll see. I, it's definitely uh, it's definitely uh, something, again, we'll, we'll keep an eye on. But uh, Bridges definitely sees as a role player. Uh, but yeah. speaking of three-pointers, Duke Duke shot the ball 19% from the three in that game. And that, mm. you know, when when you're playing a zone defense and you hold you hold your opponent to 19% from the three, I bet nine times out of ten you win that game. But Duke, Duke obviously, again, with the athleticism they bring to the table, even in a poor shooting out, out, uh, poor shooting game, they were, weren't able to, to, to pull it off. Or Syracuse, they also turned the ball over 16 times in this game. Um, so a good run by Cuse. Obviously, we talked about it. They win three games in this tournament. They were the last team in. And they almost knock off, you know, who a lot of people looked at as one of the favorites here as uh, the tournament dwindles down. Um, But Mm -hmm. speaking of favorites, Villanova, uh, this game, again, kind of close at the beginning. And uh, West Virginia kept this game uh, competitive. But Villanova just really outclasses West Virginia down the stretch to move on. 
Yep, and like you said, I mean, the first half of this game was maybe the best half of any game I saw this tournament. It was awesome, just up and down, and, you know, West Virginia, Javon Carter was giving them all kinds of, Villanova all kinds of problems. I thought that eventually they would, I mean, it looked bad, honestly, for, for Villanova early. I thought that they had no answer at all, and you could tell at halftime as Jay Wright's walking off the court and Allie LaForce uh, is interviewing him, and, and he's kind of like, very, he's just, you know, very flustered. He She asked, like, what do you do about this press? And he basically just kind of threw his hands in the air. He's like, I, I, I really don't know. And it's rare you'll see an experienced coach with that kind of response, but um, it speaks to the impressiveness of Bob Huggins' system, of Javon Carter, Javon Carter's veteran leadership. You know, they, they're just, they're a really solid team, but Villanova just looks special. Yeah, Jalen Brunson, man, he's, he's just a very technically sound player uh this guy's mm-hmm. you know fundamentally one of the better players you'll see in this tournament he was he ends up being the east region mvp uh in the tournament as well but he had 27 points against west virginia uh javon carter great career at west virginia i feel like this guy's been there for 10 years um but <laughs> he looks uh, like it <laughs> yeah he does um but villanova i just i just they, like i said i think they were the better team down the stretch and, and they pr- went on to prove that uh west virginia another good run for bobby huggins but he just can't seem to get over the hump um mm-hmm. But uh, he'll continue recruiting. He's a good recruiter, obviously a great coach. Uh, so uh, congrats to Huggins on another solid run. Uh, but we have the Elite Eight matchups to move on to. So the tournament continued on in the weekend. Uh, Loyola, again, this is the first game of the tournament that they were really able to impose their will. And in another game where, you know, they're, they're going up against the higher seed, as you would as an 11, uh, they're able to knock off Kansas State to advance to the Final Four. How how impressive! I mean, we talked about the, how impressive and how surprising it was for them to get to the Elite Eight. But how how surprised are you to see a Loyola an 11 seed? You know, a team that was really kind of flying under the radar. Obviously, they win a lot of games this year, but they're in the Final Four, aren't you? I mean, I'm getting kind of like goosebumps just talking about it because I, I I wasn't. There's never been a game really where I've rooted for them, even though we live here and you know it's it's right around the road. But it's it's just so cool to see that. Like, if you had told me at the beginning of the tournament that Loyola would make the final four. I just would have laughed at you. You know, I know we brought it up in our Sweet 16 show, Dan and I, and he was like, how crazy would that be for them to make a final four run? And I was like, yeah, you know, it'd be it'd be crazy, but it's not impossible given their, again, their offensive and defensive well-rounded efficiency. Top 60 in both. The only team in the country left, I believe, or, you know, of, of definitely of the lower seeds to be able to do that. And then the teams that they beat, if you look at the check boxes of Miami, Tennessee, Kansas State, Nevada, I mean, that's three huge programs and a really good mid-major that probably at this point is, is just as good as any of those Power 5 teams. So to beat the teams they beat, yeah, they didn't have to play Kentucky or Arizona or, or Virginia, but you know, to be able to beat those teams, I think is it's a real feather in their cap. Um, and you know, they have bigger, they have a much tougher opponent coming up here, but just just really an amazing thing. And then to beat Kansas State, cap it off by being a Kansas State team, like you said. And, you know, the team that just, you know, really played really well and tough against Kentucky and to out-tough them is a real testament to Porter Mosier. Yeah, Kansas State looked like the mid-major in this game. I mean, and again, we talked about how somebody different beats you every time with with this Loyola team. Ben Richardson, you know, he's a a role-player guy. And he finishes with 23 points on 7-10 from the field. He had a few really big shots, you know, down the stretch to kind of pull away from uh, Kansas State. But, again, somebody different really kind of taking charge in this game. And when you're you're a mid-major, usually when you see a mid-major who goes deep in the tournament, it's because they have one guy who really wills them to victory. This Loyola team is not that that typical mid-major team. They have five or six guys that can beat you. Uh, and they don't look like a mid-major at this point in the tournament. The one thing no. they didn't do well in this game was pr- protect the ball. They have 15 turnovers. Kansas State only has it six. Uh, but mm-hmm. aside from that, they really win in every facet. They shoot 50% from three, where Kansas State was 23. They out-rebound Kansas State by a wide margin. And uh, really, they lead it from start to finish. Do you – I'm fascinated by this. Because like, I think at this point we were saying with some other teams like Florida State and Kansas State, and I think Texas Tech to a certain extent – um, you become a kind of a, a a team, at least to the public, a different team than what you were. Do you think they're a different team than they were, or we all just we just weren't sure? Like we didn't know what they were. You know what I mean? Like, are they a better team today than they were when they entered the tournament? Like, are they ascending into this team that merits a Final Four berth, or are they just good? They got a decent draw, and you know, and they've basically always been this team. They're just winning close games, minus this one. Yeah, I mean, you always have a team that 
probably plays a they punch above their weight in the NCAA tournament. And part, exactly. Part of yeah. it's part of it's you know the luck of the draw. Part of it's that you get hot at the right time. I think if Dean Wade's there, this is a different game. But mm-hmm. uh, you know Xavier Sneed again. We we talked about you know there's teams when when one guy really kind of wills you to victory, and he really looked like that guy uh, throughout this tournament. He just his I guess the supporting cast around him didn't look great in this game. But I, to answer your question, I don't think Kansas State is a different team than what we expected. I just think part of it was the run that they went on. They got a little lucky down the stretch against Kentucky in a game that I, I really think that they probably should have lost. But yeah, I, 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 agree that. I don't think they're I don't think they're a team that you know is significantly better than what they thought they were. I think they're a really well coached team that has a few really good players. And uh, you know, like I said, they punched above their weight here in a couple games in this tournament. I think Creighton yep. was a better team than, than Kansas State this year. Yeah, for sure. Do you think Loyola's like that, though? Do you think they've they've punched above their weight, or has their draw given, you know, been the best situation for them? Or, you know, would they have beaten a Kentucky or Arizona or somebody else at this stage of the tournament? I mean, you, you, you it's a very... It's a very good question, and I don't. It's hard to say whether or not they would have beat them because every game in this tournament for Loyola, aside from this Kansas State game, basically came down to the wire. Right. So right. Lady Luck has really been on this uh, this Loyola team side <laughs> to sure. an extent, but that doesn't take take anything away from how good they've played. So no doubt, I, I no think doubt. Loyola deserves to be where they're at. But it, you know, if if they run into a buzzsaw like in Arizona, you know what we thought was a buzzsaw anyway, or or Kentucky did, yeah. to your point, <laughs> yeah, I, I I think that you know it, it's a coin flip, really. Yeah, I think that's interesting, and you know it's interesting because of what you just said. I mean, there's another team that they'll be looking at on across the way this next round in Michigan that's also had the fortunes of Lady Luck on their side a couple games here in this tournament. I think their 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 floor is higher, obviously, but their ceiling might be about the same. So. I think if Loyola plays a good game, and we'll we'll get into it later in the week, I'm sure, but that's that's going to be a really interesting matchup because I don't think it's out of the run by any means that Loyola can beat that Michigan team. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a fun matchup, and let's talk about that Michigan team. Florida State, again, brings the junkyard defense. You know, the real story here, they lose this game by four, and it was really close pretty much the entire game. Poor shooting from both teams, especially Florida State. Uh, they really do a good job of defending Mo Wagner, who's been, you know, kind of the the heartbeat of this Michigan team most times, but uh, they don't get it done down the stretch. And the big story was, you know, Florida State with, with 11 seconds left on the clock, they're down by four. You know, Leonard Hamilton chooses yeah. not to foul and then has a very bizarre interview after the game, you know, saying the game was over and, and kind of a little bit of an attitude with uh, Dana Jacobson there at the end. Was, did this baffle you as much as it did me? I, I As a Florida State fan, I agree that the game was probably over, but you don't want to see in a, a game of this magnitude a team just kind of, turnover no I I was stunned I was watching I was like wait I thought there was one second like I was you know it was late Saturday I'm watching like what the heck what's going on here honestly and um and I think like you said it was compounded by the fact that Hamilton had that really strange bizarre as you put it post-game interview with Jacobson so it's basically you know it's funny because our oh by the way is like uh, what it feels like a month ago now but two weeks ago when we talked about Tony Bennett's response I mean it's just like just you know lose with some grace and I thought that this was you know he's a competitive guy clearly they came out and put out some statements after which I think was classy of the school and the, and the coach but boy it, it was just first of all it was just a really weird set set up and of course you foul there it makes no sense it doesn't matter if it's over quote unquote I mean even if you foul it's still a two possession game if they make two free throws you know you just got to assume they're going to miss one and one like you hit two threes who knows what happens your team is built around keeping the game close down the stretch and, and muddying it up it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And then, yeah, like, I just don't get it. What, what was your response to this? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess there's a couple things down the stretch of this game that kind of frustrated me as a fan. I, I think it was Kofer. It may have been Savoy, uh, but throws up kind of a heave three. And, and it, you know, it could have been. It looked like he may have had a hand on his arm there. And I think they were mm-hmm. down by three at that point. That shot, mm-hmm. that wild shot almost goes in. Uh, but uh, that that was kind of the demise. Looked like of a foul. State. Looked like a foul. I thought it was. I thought it could have been a foul. Uh, you know, but uh, obviously it wasn't. And you know, so that was frustrating. Um, but then to to not to not foul when you're only down four. Uh, you know, in Michigan, I, I don't believe was shooting the ball that well from the free throw line in this game either. So you you know, they miss one. You come down. You're down by five. You you can you could still go for the two and foul again. Michigan's um, a bad free throw shooting team all season, by the way. Like really bad. Yeah, um, they it, had problems in the Big Ten tournament. They, I don't think it was a foregone conclusion that they would have made those. Yeah, and I think part of it was, you know, that 
I, I don't know. Maybe it was like this, just they, they were shocked that there wasn't a foul called and they were frustrated by that. You know, you never know what the guys are thinking. Uh, you know, but Leonard Hamilton, you know, he did the, issue that statement and he came out and, you know, apologized for the way that he reacted. Obviously, it was a heated game. You know, mm-hmm. his team fought hard until the end, but they just they, they shot the ball very, very poorly. There was one big three by Savoy there toward the end of the game that, uh, you know, kept it within striking distance. Uh, but you know, I think I think Michigan is the better team in this matchup, and even with, even with a you know pretty poor performance from Wagner, who you know got into foul trouble and, and really sat for a lot of that second half, uh, they were the better team in this game, and I think Florida State just proved that you know that they they, they can really stand and, and take a punch and, and come back and, and play with really pretty much anybody in the country, and you know we saw that at times during the regular season too. They beat North Carolina at home. Uh, you know, in a, in a big win, uh, they had some other big wins down this, uh, the the stretch of the season. But then, you know, there were other times where you, you you look at this team and you know they're kind of you know oh, we are who who we, th- we thought they were. Case you know they play teams yep. down to their competition at times, and uh, you know they're very inconsistent. And uh, you saw that in this game, and nobody really nobody really stepped up as they did at other times in this tournament. You know, they have. You know, Kofor has a solid game in this one with 16 points. But, you know, aside from that, nobody really stepped up and had a killer instinct. And you saw that in other games for Florida State this year. Yeah, and, I mean, I think to your point, even if you play down to levels or play up to levels, whatever the case may be, that that tends to play well in the tournament. I mean, we've seen teams like Wisconsin and Virginia do that a lot where, you know, you kind of inflict your pace, even if it's slow, and you make it close. I think Syracuse did that throughout, throughout this tournament as well and had in previous years where – you just kind of keep it close, and then you hope that you make fewer mistakes down the stretch. Now, like you said, I mean, they shoot like 30% from the field and 23% or whatever from three, this Florida State. But, you know, I think generally speaking, yeah, you'd like to have that one really good player. I think MJ Walker could definitely be that guy for them next year. And this, I think when I look at the box score, I, the craziest thing to me, I didn't realize this, is Terrence Mann only had two shots, four points. I mean, you got to get more than that out of him, I think, in this game. And and uh, just to answer your question, Michigan shoots 66% from the line in this game on 24 free throws. So definitely don't think it was like a foregone conclusion that they were going to go ahead and make four free throws in the last two possessions. It just, you know, I just think that it's sort of a disservice to your players when you give up like that. It's just my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree. But give, uh, give John Beeline and Michigan credit. For sure. They, they, For forced, sure. they forced Florida State to take a lot of really, really bad shots. Uh, Florida State's a team, when, they, when, when they're playing in the half court, and we talked about how they're more you know focused on the transition game. They play better when they get out in space and on, on uh, the fast break. But when they get in a half court set, they have a lot of really solid attacking guards. And those attacking mm-hmm. guards took really bad shots in this game. You know, yep. so Angola especially. Angola, you know, is a guy who usually is pretty solid at attacking the basket, but when he attacked the basket, he was just throwing up like throwing the ball up at the backboard and hoping that something would fall. You know, Terrence Mann's more more your your aggressive drive guy, but you, you could see, you know, Beeline game plan toward that because Terrence Mann really, you know, imposed his will in their previous game of this tournament. So mm-hmm. hats off mm-hmm. to to my Florida State Seminoles for, you know, a valiant effort and, and a hell of a tournament. I did not expect Definitely. them to get this far. I had them winning one game in this tournament. You know, they almost get to the final four. And that's yeah. just, it's extremely impressive. I, I did have Michigan winning this game in our second chance bracket, but you know I was excited to see Florida State keep it as close as they did, and and uh, you know even in a poor shooting game, almost get the win. Yep, agreed. And yeah, like you said, definitely testament to how good John Beeline is, and I think that that's going to be a problem for the Ramblers in the next round. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, lastly, we had the uh, the two games on Sunday. Uh, Villanova pulls away from Texas Tech down the stretch again. This one never really looked like it was in doubt. Uh, so Villanova really kind of the the one blue blood that we all expected to to continue on and go to the Final Four. Uh, they're mm-hmm. able to handle handle Texas Tech and take care of business to, to end Texas Tech's kind of fairy tale run of, of himself. He, we talked about them being a three seed. Uh, you know, it, it, you wouldn't think of him as a Cinderella, but this Texas Tech team went really flew under the radar all season. They did. They really did. I mean, I, I, and I wish I had watched more of them, honestly, because they were a really fun team this year. I'm not sure how many of those guys come back. Evans, I believe, is a junior. No, he's a senior. So, yeah, I mean, he won't be back. And then Zaire Smith is, is a guy who could go to the NBA next year. So, going to be a different-looking team. But Beard is a really good coach, um, first year, I believe, there. And, uh, you know, I think that they're they're down, bound for ba- bigger and better things down the line if they're – coaching holds up and uh the way that the teams they beat along the way it wasn't in like a cakewalk by any means for texas tech so impressive but like you said i mean nova is just so good they look 
boy, they look good, man. They they only they had one half against West Virginia that was a kind of a blemish, but the rest of the way they've looked just unstoppable. Um, they didn't even shoot that well at all in this game, and they controlled it cover to cover. So um, they're you know, and now that Duke is out of this tournament, Michigan State's out of this tournament. You know, Virginia and Arizona and Kentucky. It's hard to look at the teams left and not think that Villanova's you know, by far the most likely team to pull this thing off. Yeah, I mean, they'll have a tough matchup in the Final Four, but you're right. They shot the ball extremely poorly. Both teams did, uh, to be honest. Both Mm -hmm. shoot 33% from the field, but Villanova 16% from three. Jalen Brunson was 4 of 14 in this game. He still led the team in scoring because he got to the free throw line down the stretch. But you mentioned, you know, how how outmatched they made Texas Tech look, and it really was on the defensive side of the ball. Texas Tech, you know, had Fitz trying to get the ball to the hoop, which is Keenan Evans' specialty. Uh, Really wasn't able to do it in this game, and Villanova out-rebounds Texas Tech 51-33, to and I think that was the real difference in this one. Yeah, and you don't think of Villanova really ever as a post-laden team, especially this year, but that's that's how good their guards are at attacking the ball, and, and you know, they're just an aggressive team, but they're this is their floor, I think, given their shooting, and their floor we see is very dangerous. They could beat a hot Texas Tech team by this much, and defense carries, and like you said, I mean, you saw it again when you go back to teams like Kansas State, Florida State, and uh, you know, and Syracuse all going further than their seeds would imply, and I think that 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 defense really is is the main reason. And Villanova's defense, I think it was 12th in adjusted defensive efficiency this year. They're going to be they're going to be a, a very different team than any of these teams in the tournament have seen. So, um, or any of these Final Four teams have seen. So, I I just think that they're they're just way too good. Yeah, DiVincenzo had a few big plays in this game. Uh, you know, I don't know if you saw the putback dunk that mm-hmm. he had. He had one driving to the hole where he just kind of rose up. Uh, so a few big plays for him, and then Eric Paschal uh, has 14 boards and just really dominated on the glass. And this is not, you know, your your typical big. He's six foot nine, but uh, you know, really imposes his will nice. this, uh, on this Texas Tech on this Texas Tech uh, <laughs> offense. So, uh, you know, obviously, again, good run for Texas Tech, but uh, Villanova seems to be a team of destiny this year. Uh, mm-hmm. Which you know, obviously, we've we've seen other teams of destiny get their run stopped early, but uh, True. they really look like they can uh, they can pull this thing out. Uh, the last game of the day made a may have, in the last game of the weekend may have been the best one yet. Uh, Kansas able to pull out an overtime game against Duke. Um, you know, this game was just crazy down the stretch, and uh, you know, obviously, Kansas coming out with the win. Uh, how, how surprised were you to see Duke go down? I know this was a team that a lot of us thought that uh, they were a Final Four bound team. I had Duke winning in this one, uh, but Kansas, you know, even with you know their lack of depth, they just shot the ball yeah. lights out pretty much all game. Malik Newman, man, these two games may have set the stage for him to be a lottery pick, if not next year than the one after. He is such a good shooter. His stroke is just perfect. I, I love this kid. He's going to be really good. But I've watched a lot of Kansas this year, unlike Texas Tech, and I got to say that. This game, I was, I was texting with Steve about it, and I have never seen Kansas look this good this whole year. They just have not played that well. Um, and, you know, we've seen them thrive off their home crowd at Fog Allen, and it felt like that. You said that about Omaha in the game before. You definitely felt it in this game. I mean, A, you've got the Duke haters, and then B, you've got all these Kansas fans on top of that. So um, it was it felt like a home game for Kansas, and, um, you know, they rose up. Good, good for them. I mean, especially with – you know, their best shooter is Mikhailuk, and he did not shoot that well at all in either of these games. The fact that they won despite him not – I mean, they missed a lot of open threes. And, um, you know, you got to credit them. I just I, – the one concern I had with Duke this whole time, even though I thought they would win it, I very much admittedly thought they would win this whole thing. Um, you know, I thought that given no point guard play, they don't have a, a true point guard. I mean, Duval really came out and then played decently well in this game. But generally speaking, they don't have a point guard to – to be able to get this far is a testament to the rest of their guys. But, you know, it, they really had trouble with the way that Devontae Graham was setting things up and kicking it out. And, I mean, that zone played not very well. You know, I mean, giving up 85 points through overtime is not a super good performance. And, you know, Kansas shot their way out of that zone. Newman specifically did it. And so, yeah, to answer your question, I'm shocked. I mean, I, I was very surprised that this specific Kansas team was able to beat this Duke team. Yeah, and we talked about the lack of depth on Kansas, and you know I think mm-hmm. Duke, generally speaking, is a, a more deep roster. But they they really only played seven guys in this game, and and for the most part, it was really five guys. 
Yeah. Uh, so they, they didn't use their depth to their advantage if they did have an advantage in the depth uh, in, in, in as do. far as this game, which I, yeah, I agree with you. I think they do. Uh, Grayson Allen, with you know, I, I'm sure he'd like to to have this one over again. Obviously, oh. he, miss, he misses a, a basically a baby layup there at the at the end of the regulation, that, which which would have won them the game. He also oh finishes three of thirteen for the game and only twelve points in in his last game as a Duke Blue Devil. You got to yep. feel for the kid, even though I don't. Um, I just <laughs> can't stand him. Uh, but 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 Grayson Allen with a poor finish to his career. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, boy, think of how different the narrative is today. If that falls, it hung on the rim two or three times, then bounced off at the end of regulation. Would have been a walk-off final four berth for Duke on the heels of Grayson Allen. I mean, man, that would have been that would have been something. Um, the one thing I will say, so you said five, and then it became six players, really seven for Duke in their rotation. I thought that that foul call on Wendell Carter down the stretch was a joke. Like that was, it's really a shame they they call a charge against um, basically. They call it, sorry, they call it block on Carter, and, you know, it looked like a charge to me, and that took him out of the game. He was such a difference maker for them. Um, you know, Kansas really had no answer. Azubuke can't guard both Carter and Bagley, obviously, in the, in the post. And when he comes out and, you know, they put in Delorier, that, that was that was a difference to me. Um, you know, they, Duke still had plenty of chances to win, make no mistake, but I just, I hate when plays like that and also you know carter puts himself in that position by trying to take the charge which i don't agree with but man yeah that was it was a real tough call i thought yeah that was uh also worth mentioning you know you talked about obviously newman kind of shooting the lights out in this game so kansas hit six more threes in the game and they also out rebound duke by 15 uh Mm -hmm. when that's Mm -hmm. happening it's going to be very difficult to win a game similarly to the villanova game earlier in the day yeah, and I mean, I think it, again, speaks to what you were saying about Kansas State against Kentucky because that game was, I think, Kentucky out-rebounds Kansas State and shoots, like, whatever, a real low percentage, and yet Kansas State still wins it. And I think that that just goes to show that Kentucky probably 90 times out of 100 wins that game, the more talented team does. But this, I, I think when you see a game like this and you look at next round and Kansas playing Villanova, they're probably going to have to win in a similar fashion. They're going to have to guard the deep, the three against Nova, and they're going to have to shoot and hit more than eight or nine threes more than Nova next round. Yeah, definitely. So I wanted to move on and just get your quick thoughts on on the games coming up this weekend. We had another awesome weekend of games this past weekend. Uh, So we've got Loyola Chicago going to be playing Michigan. This is the early game on Saturday. Do you think the Ramblers can continue their fairytale run? Uh, Why not? Screw it. I mean, they can because Michigan isn't like your typical big program. You know, they're not going to come at you if, the Kentucky bigs or the Arizona bigs or like the big guards, you know, they, I mean, they are really good with Wagner and, and Abdul Rahman's one of my favorites. And, you know, we've seen Jordan Poole and what he can do, but, uh, and obviously they, Duncan Robinson's just a killer, the kind of guy that, you know, you just love to hate as a big 10 fan, but, um, Loyola's looked good. They look balanced and, you know, it's going to test John Beeline every bit of his intelligence and his strategy, because it's hard to game plan against four or five good players. And that's, something Michigan's going to have to do. And Michigan this season did have trouble with teams that wanted to slow it down and could could pass around. We'll, we'll have more about it later this week, I think, the specific matchup. But I'm telling you right now that Loyola can definitely win this game. What, what are your thoughts? I think they definitely could win it. I think Michigan's still the better team. Uh, you know, I think mm-hmm. that they probably do come out no with doubt. a win here. But I, I'd love to see Loyola continue this fairy tale run. Uh, you know, I, I think of... Yeah, obviously Marquette was a, a, probably a better team when, when you know, they, they make their Final Four run with Dwayne Wade. Um, mm-hmm. But but oh, uh, yeah. I think of some of those, you know, George Mason, some of those deep runs into the tournament. And, you know, I'm just I, – I love rooting for the underdog, and it would be nice to see an underdog knock off, you know, a team that knocked off one of my teams. So I, I'm definitely pulling <laughs> yeah. for the Ramblers, but I think Michigan's the better team and gets the win here. Um, and then in a battle of Blue Bloods, we've got Kansas and Villanova. Uh, I've got Villanova here for a lot of the reasons we already talked about. I think they have, you know – uh, just a more deep roster, and uh, you know I think they can again impose their will against Kansas. Uh, even though Kansas looked, like you said, probably the best they've looked all season against Duke. Yeah, I just there's nothing Kansas does better than Villanova. They're outmatched at every position. <laughs> like I, I mean, they don't do anything unique that Villanova hasn't seen or hasn't can't do itself. I mean, you talk about as a bouquet. Well, you know Villanova answers with Omari Spellman and. Uh, the guy you mentioned earlier who slips my mind. And then, you know, there's DiVincenzo as he answered as to Mikhailuk, and you've got Newman and Graham on one side, you got Brunson and Bridges on the other. I mean, I just, 
I just don't see any edge that Kansas has. And now leaving Omaha, the comfortable confines there for them, you know, I think that uh, I think it's going to be a problem for the Jayhawks. So we both we both agree we have got a Michigan Villanova final. Uh, who do you have winning all? Uh, it's going to be tough not to pick Nova. Um, I, I just they're just they've looked so good. I would have loved to see them against Duke because of the contrast and styles, but. I really just don't see I Beeline credit to Beeline, but I, I just don't really see Nova losing. How about you? Yeah, I've got Nova. I mean, this is the one team again. I've I've kind of been riding them. I had Arizona beating them in the championship from my original bracket, but you know, I just thought Villanova things lined up well for them. And you know, this is probably this is definitely uh, well. Duke, uh, excuse me. Uh, who did who did Villanova just play? We just talked about it. Texas Tech. Texas Tech. That's a tough matchup, but th- this is a this is definitely going to be their hardest test of this tournament. So West think, Virginia was tough too yeah, for yeah, them. Yeah, uh, but yep. but but Kansas is in a whole another a whole another class as far as you know what they're going to be going up against. I think this game could be another you know potentially overtime game or at least close down the stretch. But I just think Villanova and Brunson and, and company are going to be able to to come out with a victory. I'm sure Chris will like to hear that. Uh, you know, I know he's a big Villanova guy. This is his year. Yeah. 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 Eagles, Nova, the Browns. Come on. <laughs> so, uh, good, good luck to our buddy, Chris. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think Villanova, Villanova comes out on top. Uh, wanted to move on. Did you have anything else to add for the good of the group as far as the NCAA tournament? No, I think we're good. We'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more going into it. We'll go a little in-depth with these three possible matchups, but yeah, not, nothing right now. Just real quick, wanted to talk about the Golden State Warriors. Uh, they've been on a little bit of a skid lately. Obviously, they've got some big injuries, and the biggest one being Steph Curry. He goes down, it looks like it's his MCL sprain. Um, he's going to miss at least the first round of the playoffs, it looks like, and we don't know. It could be more. Uh, how, mm-hmm. how big of a deal is that? I mean, we look at the Western Conference, and it's very deep, and, and there's a, a lot of teams that are very close this time of the year. Uh, you've got basically from Portland down to like the ten, the ten seed. Uh, you know, there's very little of a gap as far as where these teams are, are going to be seated. And right now, Minnesota is in there at the seven seed. You know, the Spurs are right there as well. They're going to run into some level of good team there in the playoffs. Uh, if Steph's out, could this Golden State team possibly be knocked off early? Uh, I mean, so we're looking at probably Minnesota and New Orleans. I mean, the way New Orleans is playing right now, they are they have been playing lights out. Obviously, you'd love to see them with Boogie and in their group currently. That would be something. But since the Miritich deal, they've been red hot. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't think either of those teams are a true threat. I would say that the more dangerous team is probably Minnesota. The one that's really dangerous is if the Spurs decide to tank it a little and go to the seven slot. That becomes an incredibly intriguing showdown for that first round and one that I'm guessing Steve Kerr would rather not face. Yeah, they, like you said, I mean, they're, they're, New Orleans has been playing great. Obviously, the, the injury's tough, but, you know, it, it could be anybody from Portland down to, you know, Denver's been playing really well uh, mm-hmm. late. You know, Utah looked really good yesterday against, a, you know, a beat-up Golden State team uh, in a blowout victory. The Spurs have looked good. I, I could see any of these teams. I mean, if, if it's – it could be Oklahoma City – it could be New Orleans, Minnesota. You know, obviously Jimmy Butler's going to hopefully be healthy enough in time, but uh, they've been on a little mm-hmm. bit of a skid as well. I, I don't know. I, I think Golden State without Steph Curry, Steph Curry is obviously a much, much different team. You know, Clay and, and, and Durant are just coming back from injuries by the time the playoffs start. I, I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, they haven't looked great when Steph's not been in the lineup, so I would not rule out seeing Golden State with an early exit in this tournament. Uh, but, yeah, I just wanted to hear your thoughts on the impact of that injury. And, obviously, on the other side, you've got Kyrie Irving, who just had minor surgery. He's going to be out three to six weeks as well. Uh, so mm. you've got the two seed in both the East and the West, you know, with some big question marks there. And probably the preseason favorites or ish, you know, two of the four favorites to make the – to win their conferences. So, yeah, like that – That's those are big deals. I think it impacts Boston a lot more because I, I do think Steph is going to be back, and I don't – I think that the fact that Steve Kerr came out right away and was like, yeah, he's not going to be there for the first round is, A, it's a message to his team, and B, I think that it's kind of like, yeah, but I'm not saying he's out for the playoffs, you know what I mean? So I think that he, that that Curry injury is, it's interesting because, like, say he's out for the first round, you know, is he getting his legs under him in the second round in an even more dangerous matchup with, you know, the three seed, maybe it's a thunder, you know, I mean, that is... Now you're talking about something really, really scary um, for Warriors fans. Yeah, we'll see. We'll keep an eye on it. And I know, uh, I know, me in particular. I, I, I hate. I don't ever want to see an injury, but if it's going to help my Cavs move on uh, and have a better chance of winning, Paul, well, do you think 
do you think that the Warriors being knocked out earlier helps your chances of winning? I think the Rockets are a better team than the Warriors, honestly. Uh, I think at this point in the year, we've seen enough. Even if Curry does come back and he's fully healthy, like you said, it's going to take some time for him to get comfortable. When you have a knee injury, I don't care how severe it is, it's not just getting out there and going back to playing once that thing strengthens back up. You really have to, like you said, get your legs get your legs under you and get get uh you know get back into game rhythm and that doesn't happen the first game back so right it'll be interesting to see how how impactful and how significant it is um mm-hmm. but that's going to do it do you have anything for oh by the way this episode uh no nah, not really today i think that we gotta yeah this is a uh, got really into the weeds on the tournament which was fun and uh it's always sad to see it go because that final four is just sort of a tease after what all we all the basketball we've gotten over the last few weeks yeah, I agree. Let's just uh, let's wrap this one up for Anshu Khan. I'm Josh Dunn. No oh by the ways tonight, but we'll see you on hump day. Shining moment, you're willing to try in one shining.